Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 493. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Lorraine Sink. I continue to be. How you doing? I'm doing well. I got that second shot of the vaccine. Feeling great. Had a little bit of sore armness and some fatigue, but otherwise, right as rain. That's great. I have my first shot, just waiting for the second very patiently. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, you know, good times. Um, Also... I want to shout out that this week was both Paul Rudd's birthday and Robert Downey Jr.'s birthday and my birthday. So I just want to thank everybody for the birthday wishes for me and my MCU co-stars. You know, I was, I put it in the document already. It's all the way at the bottom. I was going to be like, all right, everybody, happy birthday to Lorraine. But you are just so greedy with those birthday I wishes. I am. And also it's, it's technically already passed by the time that we get there. This is true. So I'm saying thank you in advance for being so lovely. <laughs> Well, happy birthday, Lorraine, for like the, probably the 10th time that I'll tell you. All I wanted. Yeah, everybody send Lorraine happy birthday wishes and chocolate. Send her lots of chocolate. Yeah, that sounds great. Perfect. Done. Also, I will take all of anyone's leftover Easter candy because it is my favorite. Is that a thing, having Easter candy? Yeah. I mean, Cadbury eggs, that's my flipping oh, yeah, those jam. Mm-hmm, Peanut mm-hmm. butter eggs. Any egg filled with chocolate egg not don't give me no no gross chicken egg if you give me a chocolate egg filled with candy goo i'm gonna love it but we're not here to talk about belly aches we are here to talk about <laughs> lots of what's happening this week in marvel whether it's games comics movies tv whatever i i'm changing that amending it just a little bit from when we say everything that's happening because I was thinking about last week when we had that great comment from somebody who mm-hmm. was like, hey, be more critical, blah, blah, blah. And we were talking about how we like to just put in stuff that interests us. So we literally don't put everything that's happening in every week in Marvel because then the show would be like five hours long because yeah. there's so much happening across the company every week. We put the things that we're most excited about every week. I think that's the way to couch it, right? Yeah, this is our Jim Jam of the week. Ooh, Jim Jam, snap into it. Uh, what are we starting with, Lorraine? First up, I think what is on everybody's mind is Marvel Studios, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I just want to first and foremost thank the world for the gift of Baron Zemo oh dancing in the club. It's just a gift that keeps on giving. I, and now I guess this is what it is, right? Because we're still learning what Marvel Studios series look like on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. And I I felt this way with Marvel Studios' WandaVision as well. Every week I was like, okay, now that episode is my favorite episode. And I I feel like that continues to be true for this Mm -hmm. series. I mean, getting to see Madripoor, like what? What? The the, like quick shot of the princess bar, I peed. (gasps) I peed myself. I was like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. You put the princess bar in the MCU. I'm so excited. If anybody who doesn't know what that is... I don't want to get into too much territory, yeah. but we have articles on Marvel.com all about these things. Yeah, and actually there's a new video that we just put up called You Don't Know Baron Zemo, mm-hmm. which I wrote, which is a backstory on Baron Zemo, which I think is really fun. So if you're interested in knowing more about his comic book backstory, definitely go check that out on the Marvel YouTube channel and Marvel.com. Yeah. Lorraine, do you follow Zemo Dancing too on Twitter? No. Mm, it's real good. Okay. It's at Zemo Dancing 2, T-O. Oh, my um, God. It's real Love good. You'll it. enjoy that. So Madripoor and just the great back and forth. Like, I felt like the dialogue in episode three yeah. uh, really, like, kicked it up a notch. Episode four, 
is intense. Buckle your seatbelt. Yeah, everybody who's watching it on Friday, buckle up, get ready. The last I, like the last half of the series is incredible. I am just so excited to see the reactions tomorrow to this episode. Mm-hmm. No spoilers, just watch it, get back to us. Can't wait for you to see it. Yeah. But while you're waiting for episode four, make sure you check out the Marvel must-haves for episode three. The Marvel must-haves, if you don't know, are um, the cool stuff that is released every week alongside a new episode. So we got Baron Zemo toys, Baron Zemo shirts, and like Marvel Legends Baron Zemo looks rad. Coming spring 2021, he's got the book, he's got the mask. That's a really great action figure. Yeah, they really like those Marvel Legends figures. They do some really amazing stuff with how accurate they look and how human they look for being what is essentially what we grew up with just being action figures. Yeah, it's really Uh, wild. There's a pair of socks, Baron Zemo socks, and I am tempted to buy them and send them to Marvel Comics writer Matthew Rosenberg because he's a good friend. And also he wrote a great Baron Zemo in a bunch of comics of the last couple of years. And it feels like the Baron Zemo that's in the MCU is is most similar to Maddie's Baron Zemo in the comics. I love it. All right, I'm going to buy him those socks. <laughs> he looks great in a mask also. Um, I love the Baron Zemo mask. I think all the comic fans were like, yes, yes. <laughs> also, a huge weekend for trailers this weekend. Marvel Studios oh gosh, released man. a new Black Widow trailer, which is phenomenal. I, I hope you've seen it by now. But man, it it goes a little bit deeper into the darker parts of Natasha Romanoff's past. I'm really excited to see Florence Pugh. I was really excited just to hear her talk more in the trailer because, you know, I'm normally the kind of person who I watch a trailer like one time and then I don't watch it anymore because I don't want any spoilers. I want to be super duper fresh. But I just I watched it like three times because I was like, this is awesome. (laughs) Yeah, it's very exciting. People were very excited about that. And then they didn't even know that they had more to be excited for because then Marvel Studios dropped a brand new trailer from Marvel Studios Loki. And this one is really cool because you get a lot more about the TVA. And the design. uh, The designs, yeah. so cool. Everybody who's like, whoa, the TVA and like the, the big spacious. It's like very mod kind of like like I love that it kind of looks like future past like it has that sort of like mod 60s look but it's kind of funky futuristic I just I'm into it yeah but of course Marvel Studios Loki debuts June 11th on Disney plus bang 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 so good and be sure to go see Marvel Studios Black Widow in theaters and on Disney plus with premiere access on July 9th people 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 Lorraine that's the breaking news alert wait what what broke uh, nothing broke. Everything's fixed oh. because there's news about Avengers Campus. And this is so fresh, so new. We are just going to read from the press release about it. And the press release begins with Disneyland Resort will open all new land Avengers Campus. And it welcomes superhero recruits beginning June 4th, 2021. Yes. Guests at Disney California Adventure Park will join the action at Avengers Campus where Spider-Man swings into action with acrobatic feats. Avengers and their allies are seeking recruits of all ages to team up with Earth's mightiest heroes. And recruits find their powers on the new family-friendly attraction Web Slingers, a Spider-Man adventure featuring actor Tom Holland. Iron Man debuts a new suit of armor. Doctor Strange brings the mystic arts to an ancient sanctum. And Ant-Man and the Wasp appear for the first time at Disneyland Resort. 
Guests at Avengers Campus will train with Black Panther and Wakanda's elite guards, the Dora Milaje. They'll team up to save the Guardians of the Galaxy from the Collector's Fortress. They'll encounter superheroes and villains and tons more. This is so cool. Yes. June is looking good. There's also going to be some delicious things to be found at the Pym Test Kitchen. Wait, wait. There's also... There's also a shawarma palace. Yes. It was super fun and I think will be great for you and other folks who don't eat meat. There's going to have a lot of uh, impossible plant-based options throughout all the different eateries. That is pretty dang cool. Yeah, this is going to be really, really awesome. I'm so excited for folks to get a chance to check it out. Definitely go read up on it because there's so much cool stuff. And there's going to be some cool stuff about the Imagineering behind it, right, Ryan? Yeah, there's some really cool stuff that was shown off today. We'll have more details about all that uh, next episode because truly this news like came through right before we were going live today. So mm-hmm. uh, as Lorraine said, get all the info on Marvel.com. Man, I'm so excited. Oh when my are gosh. we going? Ryan, soon we're going to be able to go to theme parks again. I can't wait. Oh, man, Lorraine, I'm so excited for the announcement of Spider-Man Life Story, the annual. Um, You and I both love that limited series written by Chip Zdarsky. It was penciled by Mark Bagley. And it's really cool because in August they're doing this annual. So it's one more story. And it lets them tell uh, basically the different POV of the life story tale from J. Jonah Jameson's point of view. It's really cool. Pictures of (laughs) Spider-Man. Get me pictures. <laughs> Spider-Man. You, you would like if they cast a like baby J. Jonah Jameson, <laughs> you would be the great the I'm greatest kid voice J. actor. Jonah. Spider-Man. Um that's me. Cast me as kid J. Jonah Jameson. I'm oh, available. Boy. It's really good. It's it's a lot of fun and we'll see how how this plays out. Also, there's going to be a Spider-Man Life Story hardcover coming later in 2021. If you've not read Spider-Man Life Story, It's basically a real-time telling of Spider-Man. So it starts in 1962, and then each issue follows Spider-Man roughly 10 years later and what has happened. So it's essentially when he first debuted and he was a child or, you know, teenager, it goes on with his life as opposed to Marvel Comics and the sliding times, you know, the the way time works in comics. So you get to see him grow old, and, and it's almost like a it's this alternate reality tale that is just heartbreaking and wonderful and sweet and sad and funny and it's everything it's really great man those stories have been so good i'm really excited to check that out in august Mm -hmm. also silk number one just debuted last week and there's i mean i love silk and i love what maureen goo does with her and there's been a lot of great stuff going on around that comic you should definitely read the comic itself but there's a wonderful interview on the women of marvel podcast with maureen goo who is i i just love a a lot of the stuff that she's done. And also we had Christine do a Marvel Voices essay. Uh, Christine Din, one of our editors for Marvel.com, and she talked a lot about her experiences as a Vietnamese American and silk and representation and and dealing with anger. And it's really wonderful and fascinating. I, I highly recommend if you're a fan of silk or the women of Marvel or you're a human being, checking those out because <laughs> um, they're really, really awesome. Longtime listeners will have remembered hearing Christine here on TWIM mm-hmm. for a long time. Uh, and maybe you'll even hear from her again in the coming months. We shall yeah. see about that. 
Also on Marvel's Pull List, one of my other shows, we just did a Reading Club episode of the original first seven-issue Silk series. Uh, We did it with writer Kalinda Vasquez. Kalinda is writing the America Chavez book. And the best part about this was Kalinda chose that Silk series because it was written by Robbie Thompson, a.k.a. her husband. Oh, I forget that they're married every time. And it's really great because she talks about, like, as Robbie was working on the the series and the two of them collaborating and Robbie is one of my favorite people in comics and I love Kalinda and it was it's a great conversation for a great great comic book if you are excited about Silk please make sure you're reading all the Silk comics we have yes I mean that's such a quick read too that little short series and it's Mm -hmm. so good I'm obsessed with her friend group yeah yeah it's it's really great also really great hasbro fan fest which is happening on the hasbro pulse youtube channel 11 eastern friday april 9th so maybe it's already happening maybe it's coming up real soon depending on when you're listening to this we will have a full rundown of the marvel reveals next week but i've seen what they're what they're showing off what they're revealing what they're announcing it's really cool y'all Oh, also this week, we got some more news about the Marvel Adidas that are coming through those Stark Industry shoes. They've been announced for release in 2021, and we got some more info about them over on Marvel.com. So if you're interested in those sneakers, go check them out. They're super cute. Um, Ryan and I both have several pairs of Marvel (laughs) Adidas already. Yeah. Uh, Dear Adidas, if you want to send us more, I will take uh, all the Stark ones. There's, um, you know, the different colorways. I'm kind of most aligned to the the white, blue, and orange yeah. ones. Like yeah. the subtlety there, that is the one that, you know, piques my interest the most, but I'll take them all. Yes, they're super duper cute. But we have more to talk about because this week we have on two very special guests from Marvel 616, The Marvel Method, and from their respective roles as writer and editor, Dan Slott and Tom Brevoort. Tom Brevoort, of course, is our executive editor extraordinaire, wearer of fedoras. And Dan Slott, of course, is talking about writing Iron Man 2020 and the overall use of the Marvel method. Of course, the Marvel method is uh, one of the ways that comics can be made. It's sort of building a plot first, giving it to an artist, then the artist draws it, and then the writer comes in and scripts it afterwards. That is the super, super oversimplification of the whole thing, but you hear more about it on Marvel's 616 and here in our interview with Dan Slott and Tom Brevoort. All right, it's time to dive into the world of Marvel 616, the documentary series on Disney+. And today we're going to be talking about the Marvel Method episode. And to do that, we've got two wonderful guests returning champions to this week in Marvel. (laughs) Uh, First up, we have writer Supreme Dan Slott. Dan, say hi and introduce yourself, please. Hello, I am Disney Plus's Dan Slott. Oh, well, he's he's that. That's, you can't take that back now. It's on no, the record. No, no. <laughs> uh, we also have Editor Supreme, Tom Brevoort. Tom, please say hi and introduce yourself. Hello. I don't know that there's anything to introduce. You just introduced me. <laughs> oh, fine. <laughs> We're curmudgeons. <laughs> yes, we know this. And yet we still love you and want you to come back on the show time and again. And we're we're excited because this one is fun because normally we're talking about various comics projects, and we will talk about some of that stuff here, but we're also adding an extra angle to it. Isn't that right, Lorraine? Yeah, you guys, you're on a little show. Speaking of Disney+, Plus, you're on a little show called Marvel 616, talking about some cool stuff. 
How did that come about? Well, I had this uh, cursed monkey's paw. <laughs> and I said, hey, I want to be on TV so bad. <laughs> I mean, how it, how it happened was pretty simple. The production team that was putting together those documentaries came to me at a certain point and said, hey, we want to do a piece on the Marvel Method. What can you tell us about the Marvel Method? And once I explained that, well, pretty much very few people actually use it anymore. But Dan is one that still does. That kind of made it a foregone conclusion that they would ask him to be part of the episode. Can you guys explain to us and any of our listeners who may not know what the Marvel Method is? Marvel Method was the style created by Stan Lee for one writer like Stan to create basic storylines that the artist could then flesh out. So it allowed him to write almost the entirety of the Silver Age of Marvel Comics. And then very talented creative forces like Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko could then add so much to the point where everyone was truly co-creating the comic and telling these big, huge stories with lots of more detail on their end. And then Stan, when he would see the art, would go, oh, this inspires me to do this dialogue. And then Stan would go in and flesh it out even more. That's the Marvel method. So, Tom, then how would that differ than sort of what we would consider the modern practice of creating comics? Well, starting now about 20 years ago, you know, it more or less coincided slightly after Joe came in as editor-in-chief in the very early 2000s, most of our writers switched over to doing what would typically be called full script, which is to say they would write what looks like a page-by-page screenplay that would include art direction for the artists. Let's say panel one, you know, Spider-Man jumps out the window and would also include all of the final dialogue and copy. So as Spider-Man jumps out the window, he says, here I go, jumping out the window. And that would all be worked out before anything is drawn. This is how most comics at other places and in the past had been done, but not at Marvel really up until, again, around 2000 consistently. And even today, there are still a couple of people that do it in the more uh, traditional Marvel method. Technically, what I do, it really isn't Marvel method to the stand level. Well, nobody does it to the stand level. Nobody's done it to the stand level since Stan. Yeah. Um, you know, even the guys that came right after him. Roy Thomas did more, they're what you call a plot, which is basically, here's a description of what's in the story or what's on each page or sometimes even what's in each panel. But what's not really there is dialogue. When I first started, when I got my first assignment from Fabian Niciesa, I turned in a full script. And Fabian said, no, this isn't how we do it at Marvel. You know, so Fabian made me go out and take all the dialogue out. And then I was doing it that way from then on. So I, I kind of got Marvel Method put onto me. And then I could never really get out of it. <laughs> once, once the bone had reset, this is the way everything works from that point on. But I, I write very detailed descriptions panel by panel by panel. And then when the art comes in, and a lot of times there's even indications of what I'm going for in the script, but leaving the artist uh, lots of freedom to change things. When art comes in and it's not exactly the way it is in my head, I can't freak out. Tom will go, this is Marvel method. So with that in mind, now you're in that zone. You're in the zone of more or less doing the Marvel method. Do you find specific advantages to keeping this path or 
Is it just because this is so ingrained in you, Dan? Uh, the latter. You know, part of me wishes I could flip back over to doing the full script that I did almost 30 years ago, but this is who I am now. <laughs> there is no new trick for this old dog. This is the way I am machined. The advantages of it, though, are if you get to have a nice long run with one artist, like when I worked with Mike Allred on Silver Surfer, then you start understanding each other, you start getting a vocabulary between each other, and you're so much happier with the final product from the get-go. It can change. If you're working with like a lot of different artists in a row, you don't get that rapport. That's the thing you, you're hoping for. Tom, do you wish there were other writers who wrote Marvel style or are you, are you happy with <laughs> with having Dan be the one beacon of quote unquote hope for the Marvel style? I actually think that our books could benefit from more people doing Marvel style more often. Like the difference between Marvel style and you know regular full script essentially is you're putting more of the storytelling onus on the artist's. Thus, for years and years, Marvel artists were all excellent storytellers. And typically, artists tend to think more visually than writers do. And artists tend to look at a page that says, page seven, two guys talk for 17 panels. And they go, no, 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 that's dull. I don't want to draw that. Let's find a way to make that more visually interesting. Let's make the set pieces more exciting and draw the coolest stuff I can imagine. So I do think that there's a benefit to the Marvel method. Part of that is I used it for years on everything. So I'm a little more comfortable with it than maybe the new generation of writers and even the new generation of editors who haven't worked that way in the past are. But I, I know firsthand the benefits of it. It can go horribly wrong, but so can a full script, honestly. So... And I don't think it has to be one or the other, but I do wish we had a little more of a balance, a little more of the time. There's a big plus to doing it this way. Something I'm very happy about with the process is the artist will give you gifts. They will leave these little gems on the page, things that you hadn't quite thought out or figured out, or they've added some new angle or twist that you go, oh, that's really interesting. When I get a page from RB for Fantastic Four and the way he's drawn the tech in the background and, and the expressions he's given Reed Richards, suddenly I'm like, ooh, I know what he's saying now, or ooh, I hadn't thought about this aspect of the story. Or when I'm working with Marcos Martin, he so beautifully lays out the story, he might add an extra beat. A crime that a lot of writers do is we will ask for an action and a reaction in the same panel. And this drives artists nuts. They want to take the time to show the moment happening and then the, the character reacting to it as two completely different beats, as they should be. And it's just this sin that a lot of writers do. Sometimes, like, I'll talk with an artist and I'll go, oh, no, 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 this panel at the last page is really important to me because that's my page turn. Can we rethink that for a second? So there is a little give and pull sometimes. So we've been talking a lot about the sort of working dynamic during the Marvel method, you know, between the writer and artist. Now, Dan and Tom, you guys have been working together for quite some time. Where did you start and how do you feel like working together has evolved over the years? I don't know that it's evolved per se. I mean, it's still very much the same sort of methodology or interaction that we would have used 10 years ago or 15 years ago. 
There's a lot of talking back and forth. There's a lot of Dan calling me going, I need to figure out a, a place for this fight to happen. That was this morning with yeah. uh, Fantastic Four. You know, Tom <laughs> has a saying that the creative team gets all the credit, the editors get all the blame or something. Yeah, creators get the credit, editors get the blame. Yeah, so one of the things people don't see behind the scenes is how much help the editors and assistant editors and associate editors give and feedback and a beat they might throw out that then becomes an important story point. You go, oh, that's good. I'm going to use that. So over the years, Tom's thrown me out some gems. You can't look at the Marvel method and go, oh, it's just a writer and an artist. There's a whole world. We're all reaching out. It's all one big communal effort to put out any one book. It's a big team sport in comics. Speaking of team sports, do you guys remember the first project y'all worked on together? Because you both have had wonderful long careers at Marvel so far. Was it back when you were on staff, Dan? It was a Venom Sinner Takes All miniseries from the 90s era. And in the 90s, I was pitching superhero stuff like crazy. But I was more well-known for funny animal books like Ren and Stimpy and humor stuff. Um, and I was trying so hard to break in on the superhero side. And I had a Venom story with Sin Eater that I was pitching like crazy called Sinner Takes All. And they ended up doing a Venom Sin Eater story. And they went, hey, can we use Dan's Sinner Takes All story? We like that that hook. And they, they did it. And then, for pity's sake, they tossed me the backups <laughs> in that story. Uh, that was Budiansky. And Tom ended up editing it. Fast forward to 2020, which is now in the past, strangely. What happened to 2020? Did it exist? It's hard to say. Uh, but there was Iron Man 2020. Can you guys talk a little bit about the series and its creation? And obviously, it has a very deep Marvel history that starts way before 2020. Oh, man. Um, when I was wrapping up Spider-Man, I was looking and Marvel was looking for like, what's the next gig you're going to do? And when we lost Brian to our distinguished competition... Mr. Bendis, I got the phone call from some Marvel people to go, Dan, we want you to know ahead of time before the news breaks. And I went, oh, that's, that's, that's a shame. That's, I'm going to miss him. And there was a long pause, and I went, I want Iron Man! <laughs> <laughs> and I went like, okay, what would you do with it? And I went, it's Black Mirror meets Rick and Morty, and it all leads up to Iron Man 2020. And they're like, okay, that's good. Do that. Do that thing. <laughs> I was just clamoring to be the guy who is going to do Iron Man in the year 2020 so that we could do Iron Man 2020. That was kind of exciting. So in the Marvel Method episode of Marvel 616, we follow you, Dan, as well as Tom and the rest of the creative team as you're building into Iron Man 2020. And one of the like super fun parts of it all was just seeing what the hell is going on with Pete Woods? Because I've only known his amazing art and so glad he's he's doing work at Marvel now. He's just incredible. But he's driving around in his van, living and working wherever he wants. That's just amazing. <laughs> Does that provide any challenges, though, for you guys on the creative side? As long as he or anybody like that you know, keeps in touch, as long as you can get them by email or send them files or he can send his files to us, it doesn't matter. Like, that's the big difference between the Marvel of today and the Marvel of years ago. You know, years ago, you know, you pretty much had to live in and around Manhattan if you were going to work in comics because you either had to bring your work in physically to the bullpen 
or you had to be able to send it in quickly, which even with Federal Express and the newfangled overnight services of the time, they pretty much only worked domestically. So, you know, at that point, you could be maybe in the U.S. People outside of the U.S. could still work for us. It was just more challenging because it was difficult to send them pages and difficult for pages to come back. And that meant you always needed more lead time and so forth. But now when everybody globally is connected in this instantaneous sort of fashion, it doesn't matter. Uh, This is also why we've been able to, you know, sort of spread out and get a wider range and diversity of talent from all across the globe, because it doesn't matter now if somebody is in some country that is relatively far distant to us geographically, in terms of sending pages in, you know, there's no difference between Javier Garon and Carlos Pacheco and somebody that's more local, Ron Garney. You know, they all come in the same way and they all get here just as fast. Exactly. One of the things I loved about this episode was seeing the design and the dialogue discussions going on throughout the episode. Pete Woods and doing his character creation and and working back and forth with all of you. Christos adding dialogue. I think that part is really cool in showing especially a lot of like less hardcore fans Mm -hmm. how some of these conversations and these projects really come to bear. And I I think that's a neat part of all this and seeing that like, yes, there are so many people involved in this process and that stuff happens probably months and months before we even see a project. You guys got to do some cool stuff. Like you went to a comic shop. Do you remember which comic shop you went to and, and what you grabbed? Jim Hanley's universe on third Avenue. They are fantastic. They are a a comic shop of choice when you are in Manhattan. It's a place I go to and I do signings for them a lot. I love JHU. Do you remember what you grabbed when you were there? Did you you take any of it home or was it all for the gram, as the kids would say? (laughs) No, no, no. I I brought that stuff home. He doesn't get out of a comic shop at a signing (laughs) without a stack of, of, of stuff. I don't get out of a comic shop, period, without a stack of stuff that I, you know, comic shops are the best. Everything I, you saw me in the show that I was looking at, I took home. Another thing I loved about the documentary was seeing all the archival materials, the photos, the videos of the Marvel offices in the 90s. Dan swanky jean jacket. <laughs> my jean jacket, my denim jacket from my my art return office days. I love that, that look back into the past where you'd see like Darren Auk, you'd see all these guys and so many Marvel people that are still there all these years later. Do either of you have any other special memories of making comics in that time period? Things that just, you know, when you think of of that period, maybe it was a, a silly office interaction or, you know, a big prank or just like, man, we burned the midnight oil getting this book out. Ryan, we could do this for like <laughs> 10 episodes straight because we got stuff. I I remember one of the things that would happen because this was a day and age where things would get FedExed into the office. You couldn't just magically digitally send coloring in. And so there'd be times when a book would have to leave. Tom, how many weeks to shipping did a book have to leave in the 90s? In those days, eight weeks was ideal. Seven weeks was the limit. I remember getting things down to six and five and sometimes four where special favors would be called and the runway would be cleared. Even on those, though, that was, in most cases, that was later. 
that I remember one time when an issue of Avengers, a Bob Harris written issue of Avengers, had to leave house. And there were pages that still weren't inked and nothing was colored. And I remember um, they got guys from Romita's Raiders to ink a few pages. These were guys who would do art corrections on the book. So we didn't have to send the physical pages all the way back to an artist. John Romita Sr. ran a crew of, of artists who could mimic any style and would do minor patches to fix things so you'd never know. And they weren't supposed to ink whole pages, and they were. They were inking whole pages of this issue of Avengers, and they grabbed any of us in the office who could hold uh, colored markers and said, color this issue. So we all sat around a big table, and everyone had to color like three pages of an Avengers issue, like really fast, so we could get the issue out. And it was an issue where they were fighting the Kree. So I remember everyone kept fighting for the blue marker. Because <laughs> there were so many blue aliens. Everyone's like, I need the blue. I've got the blue. And you're okay, I've colored everything green on this page. Give me a red. Give me a red. And that's, that's uh, I actually have some coloring credits from the 90s because of some of those meatball surgeries where they would need someone on staff to just color this really quickly. Kaj, clearly you got stories on stories on stories on stories. So we will be doing this as a 15-part documentary <laughs> series. But um, as far as this first one that you did for Marvel Method, for Marvel 616, do you think there's anything that, I mean, obviously there are probably some things they missed, but anything from the process that you felt like people didn't get to see in the documentary, but you would have loved for them to get to check out as well? My favorite part of the whole documentary, like Ryan said, was showing um, all the design work that Pete did. Pete's beautiful. Pete is a, a rare gem in comics where Pete is a penciler, inker, and colorist. He's all three rolled up in one. And his design work is gorgeous. Like, people saw the designs for one of the only things we kibitzed over, which was the size of Iron Man's cogs. But Pete had so many other designs where he, you know, things he would choose from, different robots, different buildings, different things. It's almost worth picking up the Iron Man 2020 trade paperback to see if there's any DVD extras. But yeah, that's some of the joy of it. Or, or there's a lot of being on the phone that people don't see, like Chris Gage and I talking back and forth or Chris going like, does this work? And I'll be like, what about that? And then, Or me going, Chris, can you do this? Or Chris saying, I'd rather do that. And there's some of that back and forth, which is a fun part of the process that people didn't see. It, it felt in that episode like we were all in different bottles when there's a lot more back and forth. Yeah, the best part of the documentary for me and the th a thing that, uh, while nobody's commented on it publicly yet, sharp-eyed viewers can see the clear revelation that my associate editor, Alana Smith, uh, is a mutant and has teleportation powers and can <laughs> teleport instantly across the bullpen and, and down the way. That's sort of the Easter egg for my world uh, that people can go back and, and look for and find. Uh, it's, it's clear evidence that she possesses the X gene and that probably we should keep an eye on her consequently because who, who, who knows those, those mutants, they can't be trusted. Krakoa is calling. Uh, well, everybody can see you in the Marvel method episode of Marvel's 616 streaming now on Disney plus Tom, Dan, thank you for joining us on this episode. I hope we haven't caused too many delays in the myriad projects that the two of you are working on at any given time. We always appreciate your hard earned time. Thank you so much, guys.
That was a ding dang delight. Of course, you guys, if you haven't already, go watch Marvel 616, The Marvel Method, as well as all of the other episodes on there about Japanese Spider-Man. You can watch the one about cosplay. I'm in it. You're going to spot Ryan in the background. He's around (laughs) in those two. So that's just a fun little treat. So look out for us. Yeah. And while you're enjoying Disney Plus, you can, of course, also subscribe to Hulu for lots of great stuff, uh, including a wonderful show called Letter Kenny, which I binged the hell out of earlier this year, and it is one of my favorites. Uh, so next week, our guest will be one of the stars of Letter Kenny, K. Trevor Wilson. He's delightful. He plays Squirrely Dan on the show, a big guy uh, with a beard, and he was great. He's a huge Marvel fan. You'll hear all about that next week. Um, but in Letter Kenny, if you've not watched it, again, watch it on Hulu. It was really good. Uh, in Letter Kenny, it's a small town in Canada, and there's a bunch of different like groups and types of people, and you just learn about their lives, but it's hilarious. And again, Lorraine, it is one of the best shows for wordplay and pun action and just like pitter patter mm-hmm. banter pitter-patter, get get at her yeah pitter patter get at her and so there's a couple of fun questions we can ask but i think my question of the week for everybody listening what marvel character would fit in well in the town of letter kenny i i think it's obvious right come on it's gonna be wolverine he's yes. canadian yes although deadpool also canadian mm-hmm. and yeah. And like loves wordplay. So I, yeah. I would Ooh. say one of those guys. But I also feel like Wolverine and Wayne have a very similar vibe. Wayne yeah. is like a little quiet, tough guy who can knock somebody out with one punch. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah, I could see it going either way. Totally. I would also put uh, Puck, one of the yes. members of Alpha Flight, who would just... You know, he would be great at the bar. He'd be great as part of the, like the the core crew for uh, Wade and and everybody. Mm-hmm. That would be a lot of fun. I was watching Godzilla 2014 recently and noticed that the fellow who plays Wayne on Letterkenny has a small role in Godzilla. Really? And like at one point, you could totally hear his accent in there, and I was like, ah, man, <laughs> it was delightful. I'm a big Godzilla fan. Everybody I- knows that. Of course, Godzilla versus Kong was just released. My my special boy didn't feel so special in this movie. It was a great Kong movie. Like if you're a Kong fan, like our pal James Monroe Iglehart, who couldn't be with us to record today, uh, you're gonna love it. Yeah. Uh, um, on the text chain betwixt the three of us, <laughs> uh, the boys were just like, ah, the end of the movie, and I was like, I haven't seen it, and I just ignored you guys because fair. I will watch it, and then I will pick a definitive side and, well, and ruin a friendship. Yes, that, that is that is totally fine. Okay, I have a question. Yes. If there was a movie that was like like the Wonder Years, but Godzilla, and it was like, I was a small kaiju back in whenever day, and it was like voiceover and like a coming-of-age Godzilla story, yeah. would you like that? Yes. And you actually got to know what Godzilla thinks and stuff. Or would that ruin it for you? No, I I would be into that. I think that would be fun. I think that could be a fun way to... um, Give you the Zilla you need? Yeah, but or or maybe if it was set on on Monster Island and it instead of it would be Godzilla, it could be Manila, which is Godzilla's kid, the like the little Mm -hmm. cute guy, Mm -hmm. Manila. Um, If it was from their perspective and that would give because that character my dad godzilla or yeah in my mind it's like you hear the the kid kaiju's like little thoughts and then you just see like godzilla be like "Ah!" 
and like fighting and she's like oh this is my mom is so embarrassing every time we go somewhere she gets in a fight (laughs) (laughs) anyway this is not a godzilla podcast even though it could be if i had my druthers uh but letter kenny's great watch it on hulu and get ready for next week's guest k trevor wilson with our question of the week again being which marvel character do you think would fit in well in the town of letter kenny you can tweet your answers using hashtag this week in marvel email them to twin podcast at marvel.com or send a message to our facebook page at facebook.com slash this week in marvel and of course please make sure to tell us if it is okay to read on the show yeah but we got some tweets and things from you guys last week our question of the week last week was if you were to write your own comic would you use the marvel method or would you want to write a full script and we got this first one from joseph meldrum at meldrum boy that says i'd use the marvel method collaboration allows two creators to form ideas that can't be made alone taking advantage of each other's talents is what being in an industry is all about there you go so nice we've got another one in here which says full script If one has a basic outline about how the story will progress, it becomes easier to further improve it, to find loopholes, and prevents the story going off track. There you go. Yeah. Next up, we have this one that says, I'd rather use a full script and then hear artist ideas. I've seen Dan Slott use the Marvel method. It worked in the 60s, but that's going to mess with my brain. I can't handle that pressure. (laughs) It takes a lot of trust, honestly. It really does. Another one in here from Jeff Brugger at Brugger570. Full script. As a storyteller, I want the story in the book to be clear from beginning to end before we start. Making sure I hit all the plot points I want to tell in that issue and the artist I'm working with, I'd give them freedom with the art. That's my way. That's my way or the highway. (laughs) Next up, we have this one from Roberto DeCue at Rad Pencils, which says... I would write however my art team wants in order to give them everything they need to do their job to the best of their abilities. Oh, that's so nice. Such teamwork. We got another one in here which says, I'm making one now and have about 90% of the storyline outlined in my head with several characters and overall theme. I think the sweet spot is somewhere in the middle so the storyline stays fluid and alive. The moment we fix the story to a form, we can't allow the story to flow. I love how there's so many different ways of thinking about this and everybody is right for themselves. Absolutely. I think that's such a good point. This one says the Marvel method has produced some incredible work, but I'd write full script with the caveat that the artist could take whatever creative liberties he or she wanted. Comic books are a visual and collaborative medium after all. Mm-hmm. Got another one which says we are writing our own comic books and we use a full script for the first time until we find an artist to do more work with. And then we tend to lean towards the Marvel method. Hmm. There, there you go. go. Build the trust and then go for it. Mm-hmm. And we've got this one from our pal Joe B1 Cannoli <laughs> at J Bologna, <laughs> which says, why not go full Mad Libs with it? <laughs> Name parentheses was past tense verb parentheses by adjective noun and now current tense verb plural noun out of their body part what could go wrong (laughs) oh my gosh lorraine was uh bitten by a creepy nun and now uh flexes uh muscles out of their teeth Excellent job. That sounds like a comic to me. Yep. There you go. All right. We've got another one from a pal of ours, the overpowered tech lord at Lex Pendragon, which says, Dan, I love whenever you on the show. Welcome back. And it's a picture of them thwipping. 
in uh, at a convention. Oh, remember conventions? And remember getting a... friendship? Yeah. Wasn't I, it fun? It was good. I, I literally had a dream last night that I just um, was hugging my friends. <laughs> That's like so I pure. literally just was like seeing my friends and hugging them and being like I miss you yeah Aww. and that's where I am psychologically <laughs> all right moving on <laughs> next up we have this one from Karis Pollard at a Karis Pollard which says so this week in Marvel is awarded to Black Cat Jed McKay Nina Vakuva and Brian Reber it still looks like a million very stealable dollars. And despite relatively little Felicia, scratch that cat itch. It was clever, stylish, just harsh enough, but with a sense of humor. Loved it. Yeah, it's a great issue of Black Cat in which you basically get a new nemesis for Black Cat and get their backstory and how it ties into some other Spider-Man stuff. Great issue. If anybody is not reading Black Cat, y'all are missing out on a really wonderful comic book right now. And there's a bunch of issues in Marvel Unlimited to catch up on. It's really, really good. We have a couple more tweets to read to you. One is from our pal Tony at T. Bizzlesworth, who said, I've had truth, red, white, and black in my Marvel Unlimited library since Y'all did the reading club about it on Marvel's pull list. I'm sorry I waited so long. It's outstanding. The story was great, and I love the art. And this is, of course, in response to us talking about truth, red, white, and black last week. Don't just have to take it from Lorraine and I. Take it from Tony as well. Yeah, take it from Tony. All right, one more in here from Mr. Titanium at Mr. Titanium 18, which says, hey, I wanted to say thank you for your awesome response to the person who wrote in about being more critical. Agent M and Lorraine Sink didn't shy away, and the stance you all take for positivity is why I listen. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Everybody. I'm glad we had that comment, and I think it's a good discourse, and we want more stuff. Like, challenge us on stuff if you want. Mm-hmm. We're we're here yeah. for it. It's We're all community. We're all Marvel fans, and it's exciting. That's why we do this show. Yeah, for sure. Well, I guess that's it. Me and Paul Rudd and Robert Downey Jr. are just going to go and, you know, celebrate being Aries. That's what we're going to do. May we all be as ageless as Paul Rudd. Oh, man. Happy birthday, Lorraine. (laughs) Thanks, Ryan. This episode of This Week in Marvel is produced by Alexis Williams, Zachary Goldberg, Lorraine Sink, and Ryan Panagos with help from Megan Bagala. Our audio development manager is Brad Barton. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And special thanks to Ant-Man. He's your aunt's favorite man. Oh boy, gotta go. I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. This is Marvel. Your universe.